KMTT Kimitzion Torah. We'll be hosting Harav Yitzhak Blau, who will be giving a series on modern rabbinic thought. Shalom Aleichem. My name is Rabbi Yosef Blau. I'm a substitute for my son, Rabbi Yitzhak Blau, who's on a trip to the United States. I'm going to be continuing his series with a bit of a variation. Instead of an entire session on a single rabbinic personality, we're going to deal with three important but somewhat neglected figures who represent the impact and the ideology of religious Zionism from its outset through uh, the passing of the latter two in the 1950s. And uh, I hope that uh, this will get people to look up their writings and to take uh, the influence by what they had to say. The first of the three is Rabbi Yitzhak Yaakov Reines, who lived between 1839 and 1915. He founded the Mizrahi in the year 1902. Uh, he was involved earlier, on one hand, in Chovei, in the Chovei Tzion, and at the same time, he was a major Talmud Chacham, introduced his own Derech Halimud, focusing on pure logic, influenced by the Higayon of the Rambam. Earlier, he started his first yeshiva that had some secular studies in it, which didn't last very long. But after he founded the Mizrahi, three years later, in 1905, he founded the yeshiva in Lida, which was a significant yeshiva, uh, in, which did include secular studies, which functioned very well until the First World War. In 1915, during the war, Rabbi Rhinus passed away. The yeshiva continued, but struggled, even though it had a major Talmud Chachem as Rosh Yeshiva, the Mecha Te'ilui, who later became Rosh Yeshiva at uh, Yeshiva University before it was a university, when it was still Yeshiva Sabenitzkochonon in the second half of the 1920s, where unfortunately he passed away young. One of the questions that has always been asked is the it a coincidence that the same Rav founded Mizrahi and also founded Yeshiva with Secular Studies, or did that reflect a single ideology that was reflect that was expressed by both? And I don't claim adequate. Uh, knowledge in the many, many Svarim that Rabbi wrote, but it seems likely that the two were very much interconnected. What kind of approach to Zionism did Rabbi Rhinus have? He supported Herzl very much. He supported political, but not the development of cultural Zionism. He went so far in supporting Herzl, they actually asked the Mizrahi delegates 
to vote for the Uganda scheme as a temporary refuge instead of going directly from Europe to Eretz Israel to Israel. What was what this reflects is the nature of his Zionistic commitment in contrast to earlier and later figures, the precursors of the Zionism, the Kalasha, the Alkali, who clearly had a messianic component into their dream and vision, and in contrast to Rav Cook, father and son, it appears that Rhinus did not see the potential of the Jews returning to their homeland in messianic terms. What he saw was an opportunity for the Jews, primarily in Eastern Europe, who were living under terrible conditions, were mistreated, and whose opportunities for any betterment seemed non-existent, to gain the security which they would get from not being under the yoke of the Tsar, of having a country and a government of their own. And of course, where else should that be but in Israel, in Eretz Israel, our native land. Recall that in the times of between 1880 and 1920, there was a major emigration from Eastern Europe to the United States from Jews who were trying to escape their lives of poverty and pogroms. And this was an alternative that not only gave them a chance to start in a new country, but it wasn't just any country, and it wasn't becoming citizens of the United States instead of, I guess, non-citizenship in Russia and Poland, but a chance to create their own society and, con- and country. At a critical time, uh, the early Zionist movement began to take on other dimensions. Chad Ha'am, other thinkers of the time, saw Zionism as a renewed but revised definition of what it means to be a Jew and what Judaism is. This was less of a factor with Herzl, who, frankly, was an assimilated Jew, who was affected dramatically by the Dreyfus case, which indicated that even in Western Europe, in countries where Jews could be citizens, the Jews can be persecuted and anti-Semitism would rise its, raise its ugly head. But he was willing to give religion over to the rabbis. Though he was assimilated. I don't think he understood what that exactly meant. There were many rabbanim who were sympathetic when Herzl's call came, came out. But when they went to the early Zionist congresses and saw that the agenda was much broader and that religious life as understood by the Orthodox community was not meant to play a significant role, many of them 
dropped out and even went into strong opposition. The solution uh, later of Rav Cook, who saw a religious dimension to the secular chalutzim that they themselves did not know that they had, was not that of Rabbi Linus, but his was seeing the value of having a of Jews returning to Israel, creating a state, and to fight for whatever one could in terms of the religious character of that state, understanding that the majority of the Zionist movement was not religious, having many different ideologies, and this is not a lecture on early Zionism. There seems to me that this connects very strongly with his introducing secular studies in his yeshiva. Because it means that he understood certain aspects of the modern world and the need to create a religious leadership and community that could integrate into that society and that can function within the context of the modern world. And two aspects of that are one that, for many reasons, the majority of Jews were no longer fully Shomei Mitzvahs, weren't fully observant, weren't fully Orthodox. And secondly, that the wisdom of the world was being expressed in terms that could not be ignored. And that it was necessary for the Rabbanim, the thinkers, to be knowledgeable in the society and the world about them. This combination is very important because if one looks at the schools that were founded by the Mizrahi leadership in Europe, they all combined Torah and secular studies before there was a day school movement in the United States that did so. And the Mizrahi did not only mean a certain approach to settling the land of Israel, it was a total world view, incorporating within it not only uh, Aliyah, but also an orthodoxy that confronted modern secular knowledge and the outside world, both the Jewish outside world and the broader outside world world. The next two speaker, thinkers that I want to bring to your attention reflect in many respects the same mentality. Of course, each thinker is unique and you can't simply lump them all together and assume that they're all identical. I'm referring to two chief rabbis of Israel, one Svartic, one Ashkenazic, First is Rav Ben-Ziel Meir Chai Uziel, who lived between 1880 and 1953, Rishon Tzion, the first Sephardic chief rabbi, who worked both with Rav Cook and with Rav Herzog. He authored, most famously, the Mishpate Uziel, his Chuvos. And in his Chuvos, one can see 
his Mizrahi orientation, he also was a leader of Mizrahi. One, that he had the notion of the unity of the Jewish people, which reflected it itself to the extent that he looked for a united expression. Later criticized by a later chief, Svadic chief rabbi, Rabbi Badi Yosef, for, from Rabbi Yosef's perspective, giving in too much to the Svadic tradition and part of his desire to have one people. Where Rabbi Yosef fought for a very separate Svartic identity, though a united Svartic identity, but clearly not Ravuziel's notion of a single Jewish identity. In his Truvos, his concern for the impact on all Jews, including the non-observant, and the development of the Jewish nation comes through very clearly. He has uh, truvis that deal with the treatment of Mechalalei Shabbos, trying to solve the problem of Agunos, dealing with conversion with Geirus, in which he is very concerned about finding a way to enable the spouse of a mixed marriage, even when they clearly were not observant, to, to go through Geirus in order that the family not be lost to the Jewish people, that the Jewish spouse not assimilate further, that the children be incorporated in the Jewish people, and this even in the case where the non-Jewish parent was the mother, and the non-Jewish parent was the father. So then we understand more readily the importance of finding a means of keeping them within the Jewish community, because the child, based on the mother, is Jewish. But even in the case where the child was the child of a non-Jewish mother and a Jewish father, he still worked to find a way of converting them. Uh, his approach plays a significant role in the issue of how we deal with the Russian immigrants to Israel, many of whom are not halakhically Jewish, though this is not, I'm not going to try to solve that very complex problem in this, in this talk. Interestingly, a, uh, one of the manifestations of his perspective uh, where he came in conflict with Rav Cook was when the issue of women voting for representation in the Yishuv came up in the early 1920s, way before there was an actual state. And Rav Cook's uh, psaq was that women should not be permitted to vote, and Rav Uziel's psaq was that they are permitted to vote. And if one sees the Chuvis in the Mishpatei Uziel, Rav Uziel actually goes a bit further. He also finds a way that women can be elected, that women can serve as uh, judges uh, because of their being accepted by the people. He was very much attuned 
to the situation of modern life and to the shifting role of women, in contrast even to uh, Rav Cook. He was um, very, had great influence in his time. The importance of a Svardic and a Svardic and Ashkenazic chief rabbis working together, of course, is very, very uh, significant in order that there be a some kind of united religious community. How it developed later on, well, everything has its history, and uh, things develop the way they uh, develop. In many of his uh, psakim, he had in the back of his mind the Jewish people and the consequences of the decision that he would render not only on the individuals themselves, but the impact they would have on the development of the Jewish people as a whole. And on that basis... Uh, produced many leniencies for the individual in order to keep the Jewish people functioning as a people, and also, with the emergence of the state, uh, with the notion of the Jewish nation within the Jewish state, and how the halacha is going to respond and be relevant to having a modern state. Which brings me to the third of the three people, Rabbanim, I want to speak about today. That's Rav Yitzhak Halevi Herzog, the chief rabbi, the Ashkenazic chief rabbi, who became chief rabbi after the passing of Rab Cook, but was the chief rabbi not only during the tragic days of the Second World War, but of the early years of the state. Rav Herzog was born in 1888, passed away in 1959. So uh, the overlap with Rav Uziel, of course, is very, very substantial. Rav Herzog's background was most unusual. He apparently never attended a yeshiva. His learning was done privately. As an aside, there are a number of outstanding rabbinic thinkers uh, who were born and lived after the emergence of Balazhin and the yeshiva movement, who were not products of any of those yeshivas, the uh, Orsameach, the Ragachava, the Soloveitchik. Uh, it's, it's an interesting chazonish. A number of them were not products of the yeshivas. Rav Herzog didn't really have much of a chance his father became a Rav in England. Rav Herzog had a doctorate. His thesis dealt with Tcheles. And the whole question of what is the source of Tcheles when we have Tcheles in our time. Which is a combination of scientific exploration together with halachic sources. He was involved with Mizrahi as was, of course, his wife, who was a major figure in the women's movement. And after being chief rabbi of Ireland, he became the chief rabbi in Israel. 
he was very concerned way before the state came into existence is how we're going to reconcile halacha with the emerging state. And there was a, he wrote two volumes that appeared in the 60s after his death, but were written uh, 36 to 39 of a, what was intended to be a five-volume work on the foundations of Jewish law. I don't have the exact wording in front of me. And at that time, he had a interesting and rather significant dispute with Rav Chaim Ozegrzynski, who was the rabbinic leader of the Aguda Eastern Jewish community, who passed away early in the Second World War. How were we going to have a government where the majority of its leaders are secular for the emerging Jewish state? Reb Chaim Ozer suggested, quite a bit of contrast from the present approach in the Haredi world, that when utilize the approach of the Ran in Russia, Russia's Iran, the Ran develops the notion that besides a halachic society led by the Rabbanim and the Batidin who follow halacha, there is in Judaism allows for an independent secular state having all kinds of powers and authority. Uh, based to a certain degree on the notion that the halachic demands are stringent. So, for example, if one would really follow the requirements of halacha, one would very, very rarely ever punish anyone for any crime because the need would be two aiden, two witnesses who saw it, hasra, warning him, and the person accepting the hasra, accepting the warning and saying, nevertheless, I'm going to do what I do. And as it's discussed actually in the Mishnah, in the end of the first parak of Makos, where you have a dispute where Rabbi Kiva and Rabbi Tarfan say, if we were in the Bezdin, no one would ever be killed. Because we'd set conditions, the bar so high, that we never have adequate evidence and the response of Shema Gamliel is you're going to increase the number of murderers in Israel because there will be no deterrent. And the run takes it to the step of having a second authority that could carry out uh, all kinds of punishments which the rabbinic courts would not do because of the high standards for testimony. The Rav Chaim Moses suggests that we follow the run. Rav Herzog opposed that. The Herzog wanted to operate within the framework of the Rambam, which gives additional authority primarily to the Rabbanim to function outside the limits of formal halacha, to punish outside the strict standards of the din. Uh, and while he acknowledges the rights of the king to do punish in certain situations, it's secondary to that of the rabbinic. Why was Rav Herzog opposed, even though it seemed to be a good solution to the problem? Because ultimately it meant giving up to the religious nature of the state and saying it's a secular state. And it, we give it some religious value in that 
the halacha allows the secular state to have its laws. Rav Herzog, in contrast, wanted very much to demonstrate the viability of halacha as the basis for the functioning state. Utilizing as a major weapon the power of the rabbinate to make takanot, to make uh, decrees that are not necessarily, certainly in monetary matters, because the rabbin has very broad powers in monetary matters, that can incorporate all the changes in modern life, and minimally to have some notion, which is now called Mishpat Ivri, as a Jewish law, as Hebrew law, it's not quite halacha, but it's based on halacha, rather than the law that emerged in Israel, which was a, came out of Turkish, a mixture of Turkish and British law that had no Jewish component whatsoever. Subsequently, various uh, minority judges on the Supreme Court have uh, introduced some notions. Uh, Menachem alone was probably the most influential, but certainly, primarily, the law is a secular law. In the volumes that he put out on Chakika, on the section, he had to deal with such basic problems before we get to the courts of how do we deal with the rights of minorities in the Jewish state. By minorities, he meant the Arabs. Uh, he dealt with the Muslims, with Christians. Christians had a difficult problem, because Christianity is likely to be about the Zara, which we're not allowed to either consider idolatry, not allowed to have in our land. Muslims were less of a problem, because they're monotheists. And he worked to find ways within halacha and his understanding of how the state came into being, which would permit the government to give full rights to minorities, not by ignoring, but within the framework of halacha. Similarly, he was concerned with the rights of women, property rights of women, as was Rav Uziel. You find, similarly, in the Chuvis, in his Heichel Yitzchak, he, in his dealing with products of intermarriage and Mechal Shabbos, those Jews were non-Sabbath observant, which means the majority of the people finding appropriate leniencies in dealing with them so that the society can function. This is not to say that they agreed on every single aspect of Psak. Having similar perspectives is a broad notion when it gets down to details, each one is somewhat different. Rav Herzog also had a scientific background, and he used that modern scientific knowledge in the area of Psak. For example, when there was a question of identifying the father and using blood samples, so he used uh, modern scientific knowledge to determine it, even though... The Talmud talks about a child gaining certain things from the father and certain things from the mother, implying that the other parent plays no role in that. He treated it as either agadic, and therefore not binding, or as 
reflecting the scientific knowledge of the time, and now that we know scientifically of the how the combination of genetic makeup in the child, we must take that into account, which would have all kinds of ramifications as our knowledge in this area has grown with the development of DNA, which, of course, they were not didn't know during his lifetime. But the perspective is very important. Uh, unfortunately, as I mentioned with Rabuziel, who sort of became overcome by the influence of Rabadji Yosef, Rav Herzog's approaches sort of got lost. And all the discussions that take place about religion and state, very little reference is made to the voluminous writings of Rav Herzog on the, on the topic. We just moved in a different direction, for better or for worse. I want to conclude by saying that I'm well aware that the directions of the rabbinical thought and religious Zionist thought subsequently are quite different from the directions both of all three, of Rav Reines and Rav Uziel and Rav Herzog, which of course should not mean that we forget our history, nor perhaps go back to see if they have what to say to us in our times. Good day.